0: are listening to the Sports Daily. I'm your host, Reality Steve. Thank you all for tuning in. Good Tuesday show for you. We're going to talk a little baseball analytics. Tom Verducci, one of the best baseball writers out there, had an unbelievable story about analytics and what it means to baseball, but also what it means come playoff time, because let's be honest, that's when it really matters. And there's some interesting numbers here to over to look at. So we're going to take a look at those. James Harden, I cannot tell you what this guy is thinking. He's coming across as a giant moron for his statement that Sixers president Daryl Morey, he'll never play for that organization again because Daryl Morey is a liar. Well, now Harden has expanded on why he thought Daryl Morey is a liar. We will discuss it. The Pac-12 is looking to build itself back up because after this year, they are the Pac-4. I've got some thoughts on that. Untold series on Netflix. We talked about Johnny Football a couple weeks ago. Now Swamp Things has gotten a review. Not too positive, which I'm surprised about, but we'll talk about that a little bit. And then we'll end it with a little fantasy football talk. We'll get to all that momentarily. Starting in baseball, I think a lot of us can agree that analytics have, I don't want to say killed baseball, people still watch it, but has really led to the detriment of it because the analysts have thrown in all these statistics and sabermetrics and basically decided that this is what needs to happen in baseball and this is how you have to form a team to be really good. When in reality, let's face it, the team that spends a lot of money is probably going to win the World Series. The Oakland A's are never going to win the World Series with you know a $40 million payroll. It's just not going to happen. Tampa Bay Rays come close. They're about the only organization out there that is consistently good that doesn't spend a lot of money. The problem is they don't keep a lot of their players. It's almost like the Tampa Bay Rays are a farm system for the big market teams, the Red Sox, the Yankees, the Cubs, the Dodgers, the Mets, because once the Tampa Bay Rays players who they develop within their system become really good at the major league level, they don't sign them to big contracts, so they just go somewhere else and get it. So I I just – people have said, like, you know, this, we're not going to – you don't bunt anymore. I mean, stolen bases are up this year because of the new rules, but – it's just like nobody bunts anymore, sacrifices are done, sacrifice flies are done, and, you know, it is all about, you know, I think, look, we know baseball has fallen behind as well. <laughs> let's let's make no mistake about that. It is easily the third most popular sport out of the big three, behind football and basketball, and it's not even close. And, you know, they've they've done what they can this year. Uh, it looks like we're uh, going to look at, by the end of this season, it looks like, between games of last season in Major League Baseball and this season, it looks like 20 to 25 minutes have been knocked off. And I've seen quite a few baseball games this year now, especially Texas Rangers games that are, you know, two hours and five minutes, two hours, 10 215 And the game is moving at a much swifter pace. So it's a good start. I just don't think the way Major League Baseball doesn't market their players and just the fact that action-wise, it is so far behind football and basketball, it'll never get up to the level it was in the 70s and 80s when baseball was king. When we were all growing up. It's been surpassed, and it's never going to surpass baseball and basketball, uh, football and basketball, ever again. But it can do things to stay relevant. Well, a lot of people have said sabermetrics are killing the game of baseball and analytics. Tom Verducci, who is probably the best writer baseball writer out there had an interesting article yesterday and it regards playoff baseball and home runs and I know a lot of people say home runs are killing the game because either teams are swinging for the fences or they're striking out but to show you how important home runs are in the playoffs look at this stat This is since 2015. So 2015 through 2022 in the playoffs. If a team does not hit a home run in a game, they are 43 and 135. That's not good at all. If a team hits one home run in a playoff game, they're 107 and 108. So 50-50 chance to win if you only hit one home run in a game. However... If your team hits two home runs in a playoff game, Major League Baseball teams are 97 and 52 since 2015. If you hit three home runs in a playoff game, you're 38 and 11. And if you hit four plus in a game as a team, you're 24 and three. It's a big, big number. And just between hitting one home run and hitting two home runs, anything over two home runs, obviously. Big deal, but that's you know, that's exactly two home runs, ninety-seven and fifty-two. Exactly three home runs, thirty-eight and eleven. Four or more, twenty-four and three. So you add all those up. Let me do these in my head right now. Let's see, uh, one thirty-five and twenty-four is one fifty-nine, and then fifty-two and eleven is sixty-three and three, sixty-six. One fifty-nine and sixty-six in the playoffs since twenty fifteen. If you hit two home runs or more in a game I'd say that's pretty good your odds are are seriously increasing because if you only hit one in a game you're 107 and 108 so it kind of goes to show we don't need analytics and you know the, the this analytics study maybe we don't need sacrifices anymore we don't need to bunt we don't need to move runners over hit the ball out of the ballpark in the playoffs and you have a better chance to win. It almost seems silly to think that we ever thought that wouldn't be the case, but here we are. I mean, those numbers bear it out. Zero or one home run, you are 150 and 243. 150 and 243, that is crazy. So there you go. Those are your numbers since 2015, and I would say, there, there's an extended number in there. I didn't, I didn't write these numbers down. But basically, I think it was the last seven or eight world champions in baseball were in the top four in home runs hit during the season and also top four in striking out the least. And I think the four teams that fit both of those categories right now are the Braves the Astros, the Rangers, and one other team. So doesn't mean you're guaranteed to win, but kind of fits those parameters of, hey, if you hit the ball out of the ballpark and you strike out less than a lot of the other teams, good chance you're going to be a playoff team and good chance you're going to win playoff games. All right, let's move on to the NBA where James Harden is... He doesn't seem to understand what it takes to have a trade in in, in the NBA. It, 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 it's, it's baffling because he came out and said, I am never going to play for Daryl Morey or any organization he's part of because he's a liar. Daryl Morey, the president of the 76ers. Well, the NBA is probing to find out exactly what he's talking about. And into this probe of his liar comment, James Harden told league investigators he was referring to Daryl Morey telling him he will trade him quickly once he opted into his contract this offseason, the $35.6 million he's due in the 23-24 season. James Harden opted in this summer thinking Daryl Morey was going to trade him. Now 76ers are saying we intend to keep James Harden. Why? Because they couldn't find a trade partner for him. So... James Harden is now like, oh, he they lied to me. They told me they were going to trade me, and they didn't. There's a difference between not trading you and couldn't trade you, James. Get it straight. You make $35.6 million. You've now quit on three, count them, three NBA teams. You quit on the Rockets, you quit on the Nets, and now you quit on the Sixers, where you basically said, I want out. So why is any team interested in picking you up at $35.6 million when, one, not a lot of teams have cap space, and, two, if they do have cap space, they're teams like the Spurs, the Hornets. Yeah, like you'll really be thrilled going to those places, and I'm sure you're going to play your ass off for those teams. Please. You'll probably quit on those teams before you even play a game. I can't believe that he thinks that I was lied to. I bet you if Daryl Morey sat him down and said, look, James, here are the other 29 teams in the NBA. You make $35.6 million this year. You lay out for us who you think can trade for you right now. Number one, who wants to trade for you. And two, who can even trade for you with that salary. I bet you James wouldn't be able to put together a trade package because I don't really think there's anyone out there. Hell, the Clippers didn't want any part of James Harden. They wouldn't even trade Terrence Mann for him. I, I just. Somebody's giving James Harden some really, really bad advice. And the funny thing is, in all of this, This is the hilarious thing. He obviously wants a long-term deal. He's not getting it from the Sixers. We know this. But he opted in for $35.6 million. If he wants a better deal, the funny thing is, it's going to be sucking it up, playing his ass off for Philly this year, and showing he can be a team player, and showing he can be an important piece of a playoff team. And then next season, when he becomes a free agent, then someone can say, oh, look what James did last year with Philly. But... I even think, I don't even, you know, honestly, now that I think about it, I don't even know if that's going to be enough. I really don't. Because I think people will look at it as like he had to sit there and play well and keep his mouth shut because he knew he wasn't getting money if he didn't. I don't know what happens to this guy's career, but he's not the James Harden that he was five years ago. We've clearly seen that. He is a disaster on so many levels come playoff time. He's not the matchup nightmare that he used to be when he was with Houston. He's getting older. He's not getting any younger. Last time I checked, I, I think he's got too many people around him telling him he's great still, and he doesn't realize he's not. He's a good NBA player. Can have great games here and there. But consistently, throughout a playoff run, can he win you a playoff series? Absolutely not. So if you can't win somebody a playoff series, and you want 40 to $45 million a year, good luck. You're never going to get it. Moving on to college football, where, as we know after this year, the Pac-12 becomes the Pac-4. The only remaining teams are Cal, Stanford, Oregon State, and Washington State. Well, the Oregon State athletic director, Scott Barnes, had some comments about where he wants to see the Pac-12 going soon. And he said, for us, the priority, again, is keeping the Pac-12. We think it's in the best interest of our student-athletes and our fans to build back the Pac-12. We have inserted ourselves in every conceivable conversation, every feasible conversation at the Power 5 level, And I would say our best option is rebuilding the Pac-12. Obviously, Group of Five options are out there, but that's not our priority. And he even says, basically, look, whatever those media rights dollars are, the reality is they'll be less likely than what we're making currently. Now, could that grow over time? But we could be likely dealing with less annual revenue from all aspects of conference revenue streams, so we've got to be prepared to fill those gaps. And they say they'll know very soon. What's interesting is he doesn't address this in this interview that he did. And this is something that I've brought up numerous times. And this is something that I've heard on numerous podcasts and articles that I've read regarding college football and the pack four is that pack 12 had $0 exit fees. That's why all these teams could leave at the drop of a hat. The mountain West has a $32 million exit fee. So it doesn't make any sense for mountain West teams to now migrate over to the pack 12, and pay $32 million that they don't need to pay when you can just say, hey, why don't you come join us in the, in the Mountain West? Now, unless there's something out there that there's a loophole or the exit fees for the Mountain West only last a couple more years or one more year or two more years, that I haven't heard. I just keep hearing $32 million exit fee for Mountain West. I'm assuming that means in perpetuity, you know? But maybe there isn't. But if you're the AD of the Pac-12, and you're interested in possibly bringing over teams from the AAC, teams from the Mountain West. I know the Mountain West has a 32 million dollar exit fee. I don't know what the exit fee for AAC is, so maybe that's a place that they can rebuild the Pac-12, and the SMUs, uh, you know, the SMUs of the world can go um, can go there. That's being, you know, it's being talked about. But um, I, I just. I guess I guess I need to find out, number one, the answer to, is there an exit fee for AAC teams? And two, how long is the exit fee lasting for Mountain West teams? But I got to believe it's all time or until their current media deal runs up. So while it might be all great that the Pac-4 wants to add six to eight more teams and keep the Pac-10 name and, or keep the Pac-12 name, I just don't know if it's feasible at this point. And Yes, I'm very well aware that Cal Stanford, Oregon State, and Washington State, probably the last thing they want to do is move to the Mountain West because it'll be considered a step down, and they'll look at it as a step down. But the Mountain West at least already has a TV deal. Not a great one, but it's got one. So I don't understand why they're saying what they are and not addressing the fact that other conferences have an exit penalty. I guess we'll find out more as we go forward. So on Netflix, the untold series continues and Swamp Things is either out or it's coming out this week. There has been a review out there that I read and unfortunately, not the review that I was expecting because Swamp Things is about the Florida Gators run with Urban Meyer and Tim Tebow. And apparently it's just basically a four episode commercial for how great those teams were and it barely talks about. The problems that they had off field, the problems that Urban Meyer had, the Aaron Hernandez thing. They said Aaron Hernandez's name was brought up less than uh, less than five times. They didn't focus on it at all. And it is more of a like basically you'll love it if you you were uh, if you're a Gator alum or you attended Florida during those years. This sounds like something that would be right up your alley, but it doesn't seem like it was very objective whatsoever. Or it didn't cover a lot of things other than basically, hey, here's four episodes about how about how great those Florida teams were in the, you know, early aughts. Saying, okay, great. <laughs> um, is that what we really want out of our documentaries, or do we want a little more digging? A little more, hey, while it was great here, here's some negative sides to it. And they do touch on a couple things. Apparently, some of the players on those teams were I don't know if jealous is the right word, but they were not too thrilled about the coverage that Tebow got about the godlike status he was being covered as. And I don't know why, because I don't know if it's because maybe they didn't think he was as good as the media was making out to be, but they said that is one thing that you will see where it's a little negative about the series is that, yeah, there were some players that they flat out interviewed who weren't too thrilled with the coverage that Tebow got during his time at Florida. And look, I mean, I, I guess I'd have to watch it to find out exactly, exactly what they were pissed at. But if he's not your quarterback, you're not as good as you were. So let's keep that in mind. He, he got you national championships, which is what you go to college football and play for. So I don't really understand what they're mad at, but it could just be petty college jealousy. And he got way more attention Than everybody else but he was a great college quarterback let's you can't dispute that probably one of the top five college quarterbacks to ever play and when I say college quarterbacks I have nothing to do with their pro career it has nothing to do with that because there are plenty of players who were great in college were a great fit for their particular scheme in college and just never had a chance in the pros because they weren't a prototypical NFL quarterback but you know guys like I don't know first game comes to mind was Eric Crouch at Nebraska the guy won a The guy won the Heisman Trophy at Nebraska. And we all knew, how is this going to translate in the NFL? And it never did. So that's one. Tebow's another one. I don't think anybody ever saw Tebow as an NFL elite quarterback, especially once NFL became a much more, you know, passing league. He just didn't have it. So I'll be interested to watch it, um, and I'll give you my thoughts once I do. But the review that I read said just expect basically a bunch of Cheerleaders and pom-poms for Florida Gator football in the early aughts. And finally, I'm going to end with this. We're coming up on fantasy football season. You're not going to hear me talk very much about my team at all. We just had our draft on Sunday night. And there's nothing worse than I like hearing, especially from strangers, about, well, my fantasy team did this. Frankly, nobody cares. (laughs) You know, unless you're you're playing fantasy and, and you're getting to the championship game where you could win a million dollars. And I want to hear about your fantasy t- league. That's one free, or two, uh, you're gonna win fifty bucks. Like, come on. With that said, <laughs> uh, I've told you about my fantasy league. You know, we like I said, it's it's a four figure payout for the team that wins. We have a twelve team PPR league. You know, it's a not it's it's fun. You know, I I don't we have our draft. We had it Sunday night. There was a lot of shit talking going on. And, you know, my whole thing with fantasy is there's way, there's way too much luck involved for me to ever get seriously invested because nothing you do matters on a, any given week is because all you can do – now, if fantasy football allowed you to change out players in the middle of a game, then I think it would be more strategic. But it doesn't. You put out your lineup – Once the games kick off, you are done for the day, and you just have to hope your team scores more than the other team. There's so much luck involved. You could have a great week in fantasy football and score, you know, 175 points, 180 points. Let's say you score 175 points. Well, if the team you're playing scores 176, you lose. Now, if you guys want to add this, just like I told you yesterday, get rid of your stupid snake drafts because they're dumb. If you want to add this, to your fantasy football league to spice it up. We did last year, and it was great. You have your head-to-head matchups every week, and how many times have you had a great week points-wise, yet you lost to somebody who just had an even better week, and you're like, great, I'm 0-1, and then it happens two weeks in a row. Well, do this. For your league, have two different games playing every week, your record, head-to-head against somebody, and then most points for the week. So if you have a 12-team league, there's going to be six teams that go 1-0 and six teams that go 0-1 but then also have the top six scoring teams in the league go 1-0 and that week and the six slowest scoring teams go 0-1. So you can go 2-0 on any given week, 1-1, or 0-2. So it allows the teams who have good teams but get beat by a team that also had a great week to not get killed and just go 0-1 and not have a win under their belt. At least you'll probably end up going 1-1 and for the week, which is better than 0-1. So add that to your league to add spice to it. All this to say, I drafted maybe the greatest wide receiving core ever in the history of fantasy football with Justin Jefferson, Amon Ross, St. Brown, and Cooper Cup. Just throwing it out there. I don't have much around them, but but we're a PPR league, and I just got three of the top ten wide receivers on my team. And I, like I said, we do auction draft. I was out of money um, for basically the last... The draft took us an hour and forty-five minutes. I had those three guys on my roster in the first 15 minutes. For an hour and thirty minutes, I couldn't bid on anybody <laughs> because I was out of money. But hey, that was my strategy. I'm sticking to it. We'll see how the three those three wide receivers do in fantasy this year. You know, assuming one of them does not get hurt, I, I think I'm I think I'm looking pretty good. Anyway, thank you all for listening. I really appreciate it. Please follow an Apple Podcast. Also rate and review if you can. Pass it along to your friends. Let them know about it. We're getting close to football season. Going to have a lot of gambling related statistics coming up if you're interested in that stuff. So keep it right here on the Sports Daily. I really appreciate it. And remember sports will always be the greatest reality show on television. See you!